0: Tech talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 talk. tech 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 talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Greetings, time dilators and length contractors. It's time to ease off the thrusters. Slow it down a little and shed some of that relativistic momentum that's been building up in your busy lives. Time for you to relax into another episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. In today's episode, we're unlocking some secrets of the ancient past, thanks thanks to some AI jigsaw puzzlery. Uh, If you're a bit worried about where your air conditioner is blowing all your electricity bill each summer, well, we've got some cool new aircon tech that'll suck the wind out of inflating energy costs. And for the swimmers out there in listener land, we've got clear waters ahead because 2023, sorry, 2023, we're heading into 2024, I should say, but it's 23 years on from the Sydney Olympics and the fast skin suit is getting a facelift for next year's Paris Olympics. But without any further ado, step aside and make way. Here he is, fresh out of the pool, shaking chlorinated water all over the furniture like a naughty Labrador. It's Matthew Dickerson. How are you, Matt?
1: Uh, Very good, thank you. And I want to talk today a little bit about conditional statistics, or I'm going to call it stats with an asterisk.
0: Yeah, so what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I'm a bit of a cricket fan, so I like going along and watching a bit of cricket. and, and, And to give you an idea of how much of a cricket fan, when my four children were born, after we named them, but very briefly after we named them, I did two things for each of them. I got them their own domain name, registered their domain name, because I thought later on in life that would be cool, having their own domain name. And I also signed them up for membership of the Sydney Cricket Ground. Ah. At the time, membership took around about 18 years. So I thought, that's not bad. When they finally become an adult, Mm -hmm. they'll have membership of the Sydney Cricket Ground because what else would you want in life but Mm. membership of the Sydney Cricket Ground? And they even even go occasionally, so that's Ah. a good thing. Well, it's a gift that keeps giving. It is. Well, exactly right. So I am a bit of a fan of cricket and I do watch sometimes and they say, this is the highest score. Yeah. And you pause and they say, by a batsman in a team batting second against this opposition at this ground, oh, at this yeah, time of, of year course. when the yeah, temperature yeah, yeah. was like, so every yeah, stats time. That's
0: with an asterisk. I love that name. Yeah, very. So do Every me.
1: time someone goes out to bat, they break yeah. a record. Every time a bowler bowls, they're breaking a record if you want to put enough conditions on it. Mm. And I heard the other day that there was a battery being built and it was the biggest battery in the nation. Mm. And I went, gee, is that right? I just, I wonder about that. And I think sometimes people put out a media release and they don't expect any pedantic person like me <laughs> to question it. <laughs> they expect me to go, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> that sounds fine. It's kind
0: of like when we produce these stories. We don't uh, sort of want anyone to actually question what we've said.
1: I know we do. We do. I want <laughs> oh, them do. to. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I want fair them enough. to send yeah. any comments. But- I looked at that and I went, gee, I'm not sure that's the biggest battery. So I did a bit of research on it. And then I found that when you kept drilling down, the stat with an asterisk for this one was the biggest four-hour battery in Australia.
0: Oh, so biggest in size, as in they've built something (laughs) so enormous it's become impractical? I
1: don't know. I don't know. know. It's like saying the biggest one-liter bucket. Well, a one-litre bucket (laughs) is a one-litre bucket. And I'm probably being a bit harsh there because there's two ways that I would think you would measure a battery. One would be the total storage capacity, Mm. how much energy can it store. And the other way would be the peak output of that battery. Mm. So when they say the biggest four-hour battery, I think they're meaning... For a battery that stores four hours worth of energy, mm. then it's the highest peak capacity. But maybe they're just saying it's big, and if we say it's the biggest, no one really notice about
0: That's that. What, no one will ask any questions.
1: And then I thought, how many four-hour batteries are there in Australia? <laughs> so I'm going to say that Tech Talk is the number one listened to podcast in the nation out of this studio. Oh. I'm going go to go the excellent. world. What the heck? I'm going <laughs> to say the, the most listened to podcast in the world out of this studio. studio. Yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, I
0: feel really special. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. So the biggest battery, on. it's a four-hour battery, the biggest battery, it's just, let's just quote the sizes of it and mm-hmm. say done with it. And I know you've picked it up before that, Olympic swimming pools became the apparently the, the way to measure volume. It's yeah. not, <laughs> not litres
0: or kiloliters anymore. Well, it's football fields is or, how you measure size, isn't it? Well, that's
1: area. I think area, area. football fields yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think swimming pools, pools is volume. Is volume. Yeah, yeah that's right. right. The, who cares about these SI units, about <laughs> litres and square metres? And Certainly not things? the Americans who <laughs> no. are
0: still dealing with whatever units they want to deal with from the what, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Oh, the
1: Imperials that don't get me started there. So even the even the Mythbusters, I saw an interview with the Mythbusters one time when and they were finishing up and they said, what's been your greatest frustration? They said, well, we go to an international audience but we still have to use these old-fashioned imperial yeah. measurements for the American audience and then we're having to put metric in there as well because everyone oh, else understands that. We like.
0: once uh, at school, we um, linked up with uh, someone from the Jet Propulsion Labor- uh, Laboratory in the States uh, with, associated with NASA and he just kept apologising for... Um, for American <laughs> units, he says, no, he speaks in metric. Um, but yeah, right. uh, yeah, just apologi- apologizing for his fellow countrymen. So, actually, at- hello to all our American listeners out there, too. By the way, hope you're we, doing well.
1: We do love you, of course. But, but so that was at NASA, they actually spoke in metric, did they?
0: Yes, they did. Yes, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. and yeah. a lot of scientists, in fact, I would no, a lot of scientists in America do. Right, yeah. which makes
1: sense. So anyway, the next time you see a stat, next time you see a, a biggest or the greatest or the best, just put your pedantic hat on and just see whether it's a conditional statistic or a stat with an asterisk.
0: <laughs> All right. That's enough jibber-jabber for the time being. We, uh, we've got important information to disseminate now, right now. Uh, so it's time for our first story. For some time now, Apple had developed a social division so very subtly by ensuring that Apple users could recognise each other in messages and differentiate them from lowly Android users. It's all about the colour of the bubble, folks, and if you've been feeling like Matt has been screening you, well, there might be some answers there. But the bubble colour is actually more about the form of the data that it's transferred in, and it looks as though Apple is set to shift the way they do things and finally align with everyone else. They're losing the blue bubbles, folks. Matt, is this another capitulation by Apple?
1: Well, it's actually quite fascinating. If you had asked me a month ago, two months ago, in fact, we've done a story on RCS previously, Mm -hmm. and I went, yep, this is Apple just being Apple, and they'll just keep doing it. So I'm quite fascinated... But you're right about one thing you said there, I think that whole concept of a social status. And mm. in the past, in history, we've had a whole range of different ways you could dip- display your social status, whether it be clothes, whether the clothes, the nobility wore compared to the clothes that the peasants wore, or whether mm. it was the castle on top of the hill compared to something down on the lower grounds or some little hut that didn't really measure up to that big castle. So we've had lots of ways. And then you move forward and cars were obviously a, a way mm-hmm. that people would show off they they didn't really drive their Ferrari any more than 10 kilometers an hour in that busy traffic, but you had the Ferrari to show off that you could have a Ferrari. Yeah. Or a private jet that you never used, but you had a private Ah. jet with your name on it, whatever. So there were different ways to display that. But when we're all meeting remotely, I mean, if you have a Zoom call, do you wear a big gold chain to show off that status? Or do you get to the point?
0: Probably some do. Maybe.
1: (laughs) You get to the point where you might show it with a bubble. And this is exactly what Apple wanted to do. When you send messages iMessage to iMessage, you have to have an iPhone to be able to use iMessage. You can turn iMessage mm. off, but most people don't because when they message another iPhone user, they want the blue bubble.
0: That's acknowledgement.
1: It is, and it's sort of what a strange concept for me to send you a message and for me to know what type of phone you've got. That's none of my business, but <laughs> it is when I'm sending it to, or well, using iMessage on an iPhone. So if it's blue, I know it's another iPhone user. If it's green, I go, yeah. it's a not an iPhone user. And you go, hmm. <laughs> that's, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. Well, I say a lot more than that, but this is a, a family Should family. Uh, shouldn't I <laughs> So that's <laughs> fascinating, and they've kept with that. Now, there have been some incidents, in particular in the US, where some people have talked about, some teenagers in particular, have talked about feeling socially shunned, they felt like different people have said really? oh absolutely have said i was
0: joking in my
1: intro no no this is serious there have been <laughs> serious incidents in the us where people have said they don't that, even have
0: an apple phone
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's it they've said I don't have an Apple phone, so I can't be part of your group chat. Or, Mum, can you get me an Apple phone? Because my friends are laughing at me. How do they know you've got one? Because I've only got a green bubble Ah. when they send me text messages. So it actually is a thing where people are shunning these people socially. You turn up in a Mercedes-Benz or you turn up in an old clanker, then, oh, you're only turning up on that. Where's your Mercedes-Benz? You send a message and it's a green bubble. (laughs) You've only got a green bubble. Tell
0: you what, Android users, we're meeting in the town square. Bring your pitchforks and uh, flaming torches. We're going to have a revolution. Turn this down upside down. But Apple's changing.
1: Well, they're going there slowly. Yeah, okay. We've got a thing Because they
0: gave away their um, their firewire cable. What have we got? Lightning cable. I That's right. Say. Yeah, yeah they've the got firewire. USB-C now.
1: Weird. So Rich Communication Services was a concept introduced by the GSM Association, which is basically a group that represents mobile operators worldwide. SMS has been around since 1992. I think Neil Papworth sent the first message. It was around this time of year. It was Christmas 992. He sent a message.
0: spectacular that you remember his name.
1: Well, I love the idea mm-hmm. that he was just a junior. I think he was probably 22 years of age, a junior working for Vodafone. And this little SMS concept came up. And so he sent a, a message to his boss who it just said Merry Christmas or words to that effect. Uh, so go and look it up. It's, it's actually quite funny. So he's this guy. He's actually done speaking gigs and all sorts of things based on the fact that he was some junior employee who had the the. Really cool job of sending the first text message. Well, every <laughs> all the senior employees are probably at a Christmas party. Uh, Neil, you just stay back there and send that message. with you to the boss and everything will be okay. So about ninety two, <laughs> that was hope So hang on. So
0: everyone else was emailing, weren't they?
1: Uh, in nineteen ninety two, they're probably making phone calls. Yeah, phone calls. Yeah, or in sending email. letters. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, letters. Yeah, yeah, letters. yeah. So then in in two thousand and eight. The GSM Association came up with RCS, Rich Communication Services, which basically was the new and improved version of text messages with a whole range of new features. Now, Apple said, well, we're going to have iMessage, thanks, and we're going to make that our exclusive little ecosystem, and that means you can share the messages with your iPad and your iPhone, you can synchronize those different devices, so lots of things that are fantastic. RCS has got most of the same features, but it's got one big advantage, and that's it's across all platforms, whether it's Android or iOS, you can use r with those same features. Mm. Now, I actually think the European Union has got a lot of good things to answer here for, or answer for. The USB-C you mentioned, mm. absolutely, I think there's no way that Apple would have gone to USB-C except the European Union said, unfortunately, mm. all you technology operators out there, we're going to have a standard. And they've done the same with the Digital Markets Act. Another concept from the European Union where they've said, we want everyone out there to be a bit friendly with their technology, more interoperable. We don't want all these little exclusive little systems set aside for just one bit of technology. We want things to be open. Now, they hadn't enforced this with iMessage or RCS at this stage. But I think Apple went, we could wait until the DMA from the European Union makes us do it. Like they did with USB C, damn it. Or <laughs> we could go. We're going to be magnanimous, and we're going to say we'll adopt RCS. Take the moral we? high I thought, ground. I think so. Yeah, because I can't see them doing it for any other reason but yeah. except some strategic reason. Because in that ecosystem, Apple is very good at keeping people locked into that ecosystem. In fact, if I go back, I am delving back into the past to be here today. So I apologize, but That's all right. if, I, if I go back to the very beginning of the IBM compatible PC and the Apple computers, I think their downfall was the fact that they did want to keep their little system exclusive. When you had Microsoft coming up with MS-DOS, when you had the IBM-compatible mm. PC built by everyone, not just IBM, obviously, then that was taking over the world. And Apple said, no, no, we're going to make ours just a little exclusive system here. And they had probably 5 8% market share, maybe got to 10% market share because mm. they were locked down now. I think that was a failing then. But now it's their greater strength Mm. that they're locking people into their ecosystem and people say, oh, I might change from an iPhone, but, oh, that'd mean I'd lose A, B and C. It'd have to go to a green bubble instead of a blue bubble, all sorts of different things that you'd lose. So that's what keeps people in their ecosystem now. So they're going to adopt RCS. There's going to be a new version of the operating system of iOS that will actually use RCS. Now, the question that I have, I don't know the answer to, is – will they completely drop iMessage or will they say, we're adopting RCS, but we'll still keep some of those iMessage features because maybe it's a little bit different, but we'll adopt RCS anyway. Now, Google, Android has been focusing on everyone adopting RCS and Apple have been saying no up to this stage. And interestingly enough, RCS was around before iMessage. iMessage was introduced with iOS 5 back in 2011. So RCS was there beforehand, but again, Apple figure they can always do it better. Mm. So I'll be interested to see what it looks like, how it operates, how it works. And they have given a little bit of a jab at RCS by saying, we're going to adopt RCS and we'll help you get the security settings up to as good as Ah,
0: iMessage. Yeah, right, okay. (laughs) So we'll jump on board your system and we'll
1: try and get it as good as iMessage and hopefully we'll get there eventually. So I'm interested to see how far it goes. I'm interested to see if they get rid of the whole blue and green bubble. But adopting RCS is a good move for a start. Mm, Mm. Let's see where they go after that.
0: From our health tech files comes a tidy little unit for people who like to know everything. And this new device leaves leaves very little to guesswork. Matt has the news on a wearable that will literally listen to the goings-on inside your body continuously, Matt. Matt.
1: You know you're talking to a doctor because they've got a stethoscope around their neck.
0: That's right. I'd it used to be one of those mirrors on their forehead. That, you know, that's, <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah, I haven't seen that well, for a while. If, what, They
0: gave that away.
1: <laughs> they did. They Didn't should be they? a bag. Then you <laughs> really know idea. it's definitely a doctor because he's got the stethoscope <laughs> and the mirror around his head. The stethoscope, you think, is a pretty simple device. And I've actually questioned in the past, is it just there for show? Do they really use a stethoscope? Does it does it actually deliver huge benefits? And when I looked in a little bit further there's actually a lot that a doctor can get from a stethoscope. Mm. So they can listen to heart function, they can listen to lung health, they can listen to blood pressure when they're doing your blood pressure, for example, just to hear blood. And they can actually listen to things like sounds from your bowels, sounds from your blood, even some issues with your heart in some of the friction you might create in your heart. There's some little areas there they can listen to with that. A
0: finely tuned set of eardrums can pick up a lot of stuff that's sounding off inside your body. If you've never listened to a stethoscope, folks, um, it sounds like they're on their way out. Get yourself a stethoscope now. It's so interesting to listen to the inside of your body.
1: And impress your friend when you turn up with a stethoscope yes. around your neck. You're a doctor now. <laughs> That's right. Kind last, of. Last week you were a mechanic, <laughs> now you're a doctor. Well done. <laughs> and it is, you're right. It's quite fascinating listening to some of those things inside your body. But it is a fairly simple concept. And I'm sure hundreds of years ago, whenever the stethoscope was first used, I'm sure someone went, wow, we can... Hear lots of things about a human mm. body and then work out what was good and what was bad. The problem is, you can't take a doctor, well, you probably could, but it'd be a bit uncomfortable taking a doctor with you with a stethoscope, listen to you as you did things throughout the day to try mm. and pick up different things. So, they've got now a concept with some little devices that you can stick onto your body at different spots, presumably over your heart and around your lungs, maybe around your back. They're very small, 40 mil by 20 mil by 8 mil thick. So, if you think about, say, gum, a packet of gum, that sort of size, if you yeah. like, so fairly small, and it sticks on, it's got a little tiny battery, it's got some recording capabilities on it, but it's also got a Bluetooth connection, and you're going to see a doctor about some health issues, rather than just put the stethoscope on for 10 seconds, and right, I'm right now, they stick some of these on your body, and they say, have a nice day, go home, leave those on, I'll see you in a couple of days, I'm not sure exactly how long, maybe a week, maybe a couple of days, yeah, go about your okay. normal activities. Now, the doctor can monitor that because it's connected via Bluetooth to your phone, or they can just take them off when you come back in and download the data from those. But the equivalent that I've read about this from the creators of this particular device is that it would be like having 13 doctors with a stethoscope on you as you went about your days. <laughs> now that might be a bit uncomfortable. Which is awkward. <laughs> that is, it is. Getting in the car might be a touch awkward, going to the toilet might be <laughs> even more awkward. But Gosh. that's that sounds pretty good in having that many doctors walk around and listen to you. In particular, they're doing things like premature babies, listening to a premature baby and seeing how everything's functioning inside and leaving them on so they're small enough that you can stick them on, whereas a stethoscope is actually designed for an adult, so it's actually mm. quite large have specifically designed stethoscopes for babies, but this is the type of thing you could stick on and leave on babies, leave on people, basically monitoring health. So we're getting more and more ways to monitor health. And then I started thinking, we we talk so much about wearables and how much wearables are developing. And I thought, I wonder whether – this is used by doctors at the moment – but I wonder whether you'll get to the stage where there'll be some wearable that'll come out that'll have some accessory, that you add that to the various things that are on your body. So you got your watch that does your heart rate and does some ECG work and a whole range of things you're getting with these wearables that we just buy off the shelf – They're not there yet, but I wonder whether you'll get to the stage at some stage where you have some type of wearables like this, or whether your watch can start to listen to these things.
0: Start wearing a whole suit full of wearables. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. Robocop.
1: These are quite clever as well in that they've got the microphones tuned inwards, and they're meant to block outside noise. So you and I could be talking, walking around, but it would still be listening to what's happening inside our body. I'm a bit worried about the doctor getting around towards, say, lunchtime. Sometimes I don't mm. manage to get a lot to eat in the morning. My stomach starts to rumble a yeah. fair <laughs> bit. Yeah. The doctor's going, oh, my gosh, there's an explosion going on in there. No, no, I was just hungry. Sorry.
0: <laughs> they get to listen to every burp, fart, and whatever else is going <laughs> on inside your body. I thought about that. That's even better, isn't it? So,
1: anyway, good luck to those doctors listening to these.
0: Yeah. An alarming trend has found its way into the schoolyard. It involves the creation of deep fakes, and there are some big lessons to be learned for students, teachers, and parents alike. This story is right up there with the most concerning behaviours that young people can experiment with. And no one is untouchable. Matt?
1: It does seem like at some stage someone said, hey, that'd be funny to put your face on Arnold Schwarzenegger body, mm. and you would look like a really big, strong bodybuilder. Oh, that's pretty pretty funny. And I'd do that with a friend and have a bit of a joke, and that's about the end of it. Yeah. But then people went, oh, People's wouldn't it be imaginations funny?
0: run wild. That's
1: right, in inverted commas, funny yeah. in inverted commas, to put your face on a naked person or to put yeah. your face on a, oh, hold on, we've got this really clever deep fake technology now. Maybe we could get a, porn, a pornography scene mm. and put your face on that. Gee, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Well, and
0: teenagers aren't notorious for considering all the consequences.
1: No, their brain hasn't developed enough, has it, to actually say, Action A equals consequence B. It's just mm. action A, done. Oh, wait up, there were consequences? Didn't think about that. So this is what's happening now. There are people who are getting pornography. They're getting porn scenes, which probably isn't that hard to get some of these scenes. Then they're taking a photo of one of their friends and they're sticking it on one of these heads. Yeah. And now again, and I'm trying to be nice here, but again, I think maybe someone did it as a bit of a joke to one of their friends. But then next thing you know, when they joke to one of their friends, suddenly goes around the school and... Yeah. And people go, I saw Jimmy in that porn scene. What was he doing? And next thing you know, this poor kid is going, well, that wasn't me. It was just one of my friends did that and it just meant to be a joke. But once it's out there, it's out there. So then what do you do about it? Now, unfortunately, you have had some incidents in the US where this and and the next story will do. You've actually had people who have committed suicide because they just feel like they've got no end to their life. Now this is out there. How am I ever going to live it down? It's not me, but how do I convince people that? Because this is the problem. Deep fakes are so convincing. They're so good. Yeah. Now, it started off with some of the deep fakes that were being done was done in, in movies. So you had some very clever technology used to be able to create different scenes with different people in them. And that was all well and good because it was being done. I'm not talking about pornography. I'm just saying normal movies being done by people in an environment where they were doing it and had some conditions around what they were doing. They weren't just doing it randomly. But once that technology kept developing, once we had AI on the scene, and once you can just go and basically get this sort of ability online with no one watching over you, no one checking what you're doing, next thing you know, Teenagers are teenagers, and they do some Bingo. silly things.
0: To paraphrase uh, Jeff Goldblum in um, Jurassic Park, he said something like, um, "You thought too much about whether or not you could, and not enough about whether or not you should." Yeah, that's and right. uh, just uh, yeah, so many things now. There's so many traps for teenagers these yep. days, yep. Uh, and um, yeah, something that seems. You know, like harmless amongst a small group of friends. And I say harmless, but we're talking about things that are quite harmful. Yeah. But once it gets leaked as well, um, right. yeah, it's exponential.
1: And then the uh, worrying damage. trend from there is the next thing they're targeting is female teachers. Mm. So they're out of school. They would have a photo of one of the female teachers. Yeah. And someone said, wouldn't it be funny to see Miss Smith... In a porn scene. Mm. So they do that. And then, of course, for the teacher. And, and parents probably aren't aware of enough of how deep fake works. So suddenly they see Miss Smith in a porn scene and they're ringing right. the school saying, well, I don't really want Miss Smith, who's a porn star, teaching my year six children. Thank you very sure. much. Or well, my kindergarten children, for that matter. I hope it's not kindergarten children doing this, but it's pretty harmful in that whole process now again imagine that teacher trying to explain to teachers putting out some sort of communication it's not me in the porn scene because anyone mm. else that hasn't seen it goes what we've got Miss Smith in a porn scene let's go and look at that so it just goes down a very quick rabbit hole
0: yeah yeah and uh, look kids are getting lots and lots of education now from police liaison officers and whatnot um, oh, explaining about you know uh, the damage that can be done by a thoughtless act Yep. Um, but uh, you know I think all we have in our favour, is education and just letting kids know and certainly turning a blind eye to it or hoping that it doesn't happen, there's not going to be enough security.
1: Mm. And so here's an interesting question then. Do you, as you say, with a police liaison officer, for example, say, kids, this is what you can do, don't, mm. because here are all the negative impacts, including, as I say, suicide. There's some pretty negative outcomes from this. Or by actually talking about it, does that get kids who are likely to go, "Oh"? didn't know you could do that let me go and have a look at that so is it actually encouraging some of the kids who might be more inclined to do it to be aware of it so i don't know the answer to
0: that yeah no it's a a tricky one but i think uh, as i say education is going to be our only defense and it is there are lessons to be learned by students teachers and parents here um yeah
1: it's a scary scene
0: yes And out of a similar barrel comes the next story with more further risky online behaviour. This scam is targeting teenage boys on Snapchat. They're an easy target given the nature of the beast and this scam has a ruthless lock-in. Another case of predators preying on the young and vulnerable. A special form of evil, Matt.
1: I actually think this one's worse than the last one. The last one you can say, well, that's not me look, someone put my head on some other person there yeah. and you can see that's not my body or you can see that's not me. So you've got that defense. This one's worse. What's happening is scammers are befriending teenage boys mm. and they're posing as a teenage girl. Hi, how are you going? Saw you, wherever, whatever it was. And they start becoming friends and then they get to the stage where they become friends on Snapchat. Now Snapchat is different in that you send a picture to someone it disappears after a couple of seconds so Mm. people feel safer Mm. sending images on snapchat so this person this teenage girl supposedly is friends with this person on snapchat this young male and then they send a nude photo of themselves and the teenage boy sees it and it comes up for a couple of seconds and disappears and then eventually she says oh i'm sending photos of myself to you can you share one of you so the teenage boy goes Okay, I'm a teenage boy. This is what I do, I guess. So they send a nude photo. And of course, once they've got that nude photo at the other end, you can do a screenshot of it. And then the scammer at the other end posing as a teenage girl suddenly reveals themselves to be not the teenage girl. Okay, I've got this nude photo of you. I've got access to all your social media accounts. I'm going to share it everywhere unless you pay me X amount of dollars into some account. And then what's the guarantee they're not going to share it anyway, which is exactly what's happened in some cases. People have actually paid the money and then next you know this nude photo goes around. And so that one I think is even tougher because then you're saying, well – I can't even say that's not me because it is me yeah. and wow, that's embarrassing and how am I ever going to live with myself? And again, we've seen more suicides from this than the previous one we talked about oh, wow. because then it is a case of that's me, how embarrassing, how am I going to walk into the school? You can imagine walking into the school the next day, people saying, oh, I saw that photo and you would just struggle, you'd want to move school, you want to move town or some people would actually take the terrible option of saying, I just, I can't live anymore. So this is, what happened, and we talk about scammers so much. Actually, we've left them alone for a few weeks, but these two just stuck out at me as stories that we had to talk about. Yeah, just the implications of what these scammers are doing, and they're not—they're not hitting people for much money. They're saying because they figure their teenage boys they haven't got a lot of money, they're hitting them up for two hundred dollars. $100, so it's not much money they're hitting them up for. So for that amount of money, risking Yeah, but they can hit life. them up
0: now and they can hit them up in another couple of months or another yeah. couple of years. Just keep on just touching base. So hey, remember me, um, you're on an income now. So um, how about you, up it, we up it to about $5,000 or whatever. I
1: saw you've got a, a new job now. Would you like your employer to yeah. see this photo of you? So yeah, you're spot on. And that may be their long-term game plan, but in the short term, it's still pretty horrific. So once, one of the things that's interesting is that you can actually report a photo. So the idea is a photo's out there, it's out there, that's it. Well, it's, it's there forever. People can take screenshots of it, they can keep it on their phone, they can keep it on their devices. But being out there, there are some processes now, if you report an image, you can actually get that through the authorities, so in Australia it will be the e-safety commissioner, in, in America I'm sure there would be a, another equivalent of that, you can report those photos and by using that signature that can actually be blocked on various social media sites. So the right. social media companies are saying that we'll play ball with this little thing and we'll allow you to have that blocked so at least that way. Someone might have it on their phone, they try and upload it somewhere, it just won't actually go anywhere. So that's a slight advantage, but there's nothing stopping someone, say, for example, from sending a picture of that to your employer or emailing that to an employer. Social media can spread very rapidly, but you still have it used against you in other ways. It's
0: just much nicer to not be in the situation to start off with, and wouldn't it be lovely if people were just nicer to each other?
1: Well, it would be, and I suppose the most important thing from this one is... Don't share a nude. That's probably the best advice. Even though she's a lovely young lady and she really wants to see a naked photo of you, then say let's meet up at a cafe and we can go from there. Don't send the nude photo. It's just yeah.
0: We're talking about probably the most impulsive um, uh, demographic that there is. You're more <laughs> impulsive know. than a toddler.
1: <laughs> I know. And and also as a teenage boy, you're discovering all sorts of things about yourself. Absolutely. So there's probably a bit of excitement around that. So I get that, but. Gee, I I must admit, I've never had the inclination, even as a teenager, to send photos. Social media wasn't around, of course, when I was a teenager, but sending photos of myself naked mm, doesn't Mm, really get me. So anyway, please, if if you get nothing else out of this podcast, don't send a naked photo.
0: So it's pretty clear by now that the internet, for all its gifts and rewards that it brings with widespread sharing of information... It's also flung open the gates for wrongdoers, particularly ones who want to drain the piggy banks of the unwary. Online transactions are the new normal, and so a new breed of virtual credit cards are emerging as a safer way to shop online. Matt, how does a virtual credit card work?
1: It's actually really clever, and I love the idea. You've got your normal credit card number, you go and make an online purchase, you put that credit card number in, put your expiry date, put your CCV, and that's it. Off it goes. Now, if it just happens to be... And company that's not reputable or that company has a data leak or someone picks up that traffic from A to B, then that credit card suddenly is used for other online mm. purchases. And you say, well, I don't remember buying something from Acme 1 and Acme 2. Mm. Why are they showing my credit card? You now, banks are pretty good about it. Banks will say, sure, you've proven that's not your transaction. We'll refund the money and we'll go and pursue the other side of it. And obviously, it costs a lot of money for banks to be able to do that. And we're paying for that ultimately, even though we mightn't pay for that one transaction, we're still paying for that in fees that we pay to the banks. So the virtual credit card concept is absolutely brilliant. Some banks, not all. And the, the ones I looked at first of all were in America, Capital One, Citibank, American Express. Some of those are in Australia as well. But you've got the ability with these banks to say, I would like a virtual credit card that I can use for a one-off transaction. And that's it. It's only good for that one transaction. So if someone gets the number, knock yourself out. Go Mm. for it. It's going to be absolutely useless to you. Or you could say, I'm going to have a credit card that's used for a certain number of transactions or for a certain time limit. I just want a credit card to use for a week. I've got to make a few purchases and that's it. And scammers, when they get it, they may not use that number immediately. Mm. So you've got a fair bit of safety in doing it. You can set spending limits on it, all sorts of things. But ultimately, you can use it like a credit card and then it expires. I know when I travel overseas, I get a travel money card and I use that and and you can just transfer money to that and then use that, use it in the local currency helps as well. But also I figure if someone steals my credit card, it's a travel money card. It's not going to affect me. It's only got a certain amount of money on it. Nice and safe. And if that goes haywire, I'm still okay because I've still got my normal credit card. I'm not going to be stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So that's kind of a little way of going that step, but this is just used for online transactions. There's some companies where you can just say, give me 12 free virtual cards and then I'll use those as I need to over the next 12 purchases I make or again apply for one on a one off basis I'm not sure whether the big four Australian banks are doing it but I hope they do I hope they Mm. do do something like this
0: sounds like a very good idea it
1: does and logically you're going to run out of numbers presumably with credit cards but the combination you've got your 16 digit number but you've also then got the expiry date and the CCV Mm. so you could presumably use that same number banks yeah you could recycle the number surely yeah just have a different expiry date, different CCV, and then that would be a new virtual credit card. So you could do that. I think we've got a long way to go before we run out of those numbers. So that's not a bad thing. So it does seem quite good. If you look at some of the losses incurred in 2021, is the latest data that I've got, issuers and merchants lost $47 billion, Australian dollars, in those sort of credit card scams, fraud, et cetera. Now, again, uh, most of those, and I say credit card issuers and merchants lost that, so most of those losses weren't incurred by the end user, which is good. But again, as I said, $47 billion, who's paying for that? Obviously, we are still paying for that, not directly, but indirectly in those costs. If we minimize it, that sounds like a good thing.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, time to move
0: away from scams, get some good news uh, going. Remember the likes of Ian Thorpe, Michael Klim, Grant Hackett and Susie O'Neill when they stepped onto the podium at the 2000 Olympics, decked out in our new secret weapon, the fast skin swimsuit? They were a revelation, the winged keel of the age and our ticket to beating the Yanks again in the water. Well, the fast skin suit has been given a tweak for Paris in 2024. And Matt has all the ambiguous hype and lack of detail that will strike fear in our rivals while still protecting the nation's deepest secrets.
1: Here's the question. Should we be talking about a swimsuit on a tech podcast? Is that technology? Well, I think technology –
0: yeah, absolutely. Technology is any tool that makes life better for you, uh, and in this case, it's making life better for those Olympic swimmers.
1: Well, I'm happy with that because I like to talk about it. I think it's a good thing to talk about
0: it's a wearable tool.
1: A wearable, exactly right. Now, it's interesting because in sport – We're continually developing athletes, different training programs, different ways of improving themselves, but we're using technology with athletes all the time. Think about the Tour de France, the bikes they're riding on now, the carbon fibre bikes, incredibly stiff, incredibly light, all sorts of advancements in their derailleur, their gears, all sorts of things they do better than a bike from 100 years ago, than a bike from 10 years ago. Mm. Apart from, ignore the, the drug side of this here, but do they say that people are cheating when they're riding a bike that's more advanced than a bike that someone else rode on.
0: Well, I'm yet to hear, unless the, the, there's a motor on the
1: bike. <laughs> well, that's right. That has happened too. Yeah, right. <laughs> so ignore that one. <laughs> but just from the technology perspective, then it seems like they're improving it. Shoes, I've talked about it before. I love my shoes. I won't mention the brand, but I've got a set of shoes that they promised would increase my running time by 4%. And, and they I, did? They did, that's right.
0: Was it 4% though, or was it a little bit? No, oh. it
1: was 4%. It was pretty much actually all my kids, my wife, myself, all got pretty much close to 4 percent plus or minus a little bit hey. out of those shoes. So th- they delivered on the promise they had. Maybe it was a bit of a, a placebo effect. I don't care. <laughs> Maybe run right. faster.
0: Yep. Whatever <laughs> makes you run faster.
1: Only they could have said 30%. That would have been even better. But <laughs> <laughs> So you've got shoes that have got technology in them. You've got so many different things we do in sport where technology is helping us. It's being Mm. improved all the time. And it doesn't feel like cheating. But of course, you mentioned before the controversy, I think it was the LZR racer suit that essentially was seen as cheating in the swimming pool and records were tumbling left, Mm. right and centre. But the same thing when bikes got better records would tumble, when shoes got better records would tumble. It's just the next... Evolution or revolution, maybe in those different items. Now they banned those suits in the end. Oh, did that? Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, now they banned those suits, and those records still stood. But then there was no hope of any swimmers breaking those records for a few <laughs> years to come. Yeah, so
0: they had a couple of like stripes of ripples down the side to get little uh, a little bit of uh, turbulence going.
1: They had a whole range of little things. I think the the fabric themselves was different, so they were watery, repellent, and yeah. they slipped through the water quicker. And they had little ripples, as you said, so all sorts of little subtle differences there it didn't mean that I could swim in the pool and beat Ian Thorpe you spent a train it was just you're talking about hundreds of a second mm. there to try and get those records or beat someone else in the pool so again those records stood but they they were banned these later swimsuits, and, and I remember space food sticks, I used to love eating space food sticks as a kid, <laughs> I remember and I'm sure someone should have sued them, because I'm sure they were never used by anyone in space, they just didn't seem like... They
0: just came in a special shiny packet, didn't they? It was a silver packet, was that right? Oh, yeah. well, I think there
1: was a, a brown packet as well, and it yeah. had space food sticks and a picture of an astronaut on there, yeah. but nowhere was any proof that anyone in space ever ate these particular ones. But in this particular example, they do actually have a tech coating, a lameral space tech coating. So you think, oh yeah, sure, space tech. But this coating was originally developed by NASA for satellite protection, presumably to make items a bit slipperier, or maybe they made them slippery as they went through the air. So these particular swimsuits uh, have got a water repellent in them so that they don't absorb water. Mm. You can imagine that would slow you down a little bit. And they're also made to be slipperier through the water. Probably not as good as the old LZR racer, probably not as advanced as those, but certainly they've still got that ability. Now, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's cheating because anyone's got access to them. If you've got a spare $780, you wow. can buy the female version, $490, you can buy the male version.
0: So am I right in now saying that I was wrong in my introduction, that it's not a secret at all, the secret's out, and any of those countries can build, uh, create the uh, fast skin suits?
1: Well, presumably, and they could buy those i know the shoes that i was talking about before i know athletes that were sponsored by other shoe companies when they were running in marathons, for example, because those shoes were so good, they would actually wear those shoes and paint them in black. So uh, their sponsor, or well, it wasn't obvious that they upset. weren't wearing their sponsor shoes. So you might have been sponsored by Company A, but you knew the company B shoes were better, so you went and you wore company B <laughs> shoes and painted them black. So you might be another country that might be sponsored by someone else besides Speedo, mm. and you might say, Well, I'm gonna wear those suits, but oh, they're in green and gold. I don't know if I want to wear green and gold <laughs> standing there ready to take off on the starting blocks, but I'm sure other companies we're talking about next year, other companies will be trying to develop the same suit that have those mm. Speedo suits now, be analysing them, see how they're made, see what they're doing with them, or they just, some companies go to Speedo and say, well, we want to order a truckload of these, can you do them in anything other than green and gold, can you do that for us, and it's probably a commercial decision. So yes, I'm sure, i sure that anyone, you and I can go down and buy uh, these swimmers supposedly if we've got a spare $780 or $490, So, and that's where I th- feel like it's not cheating, if everyone's got access to it, mm. if everyone's doing it, it – that probably sounds bad because that sounds like dr- drugs. If everyone's doing drugs, it's okay. No, no. If everyone's doing it and it's not having a negative impact on the human body mm. like drugs would do, then maybe it's okay.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, some blurry definitions now that uh, about <laughs> what's cheating and what's not cheating. But, uh, I'm
1: going around circles. But the
0: games are developing, yeah? They are. that's and, right. You know, back in the days, we had all the athletes um, in the nude <laughs> back in the ancient times – we're probably not going to go back to that.
1: No, that's right. It was a Zola Bud that we used to run bare feet. Yes, barefoot. Yeah. Yes. So, 1984
0: Olympics. Her and Mary Decker.
1: Yep. And so you surely Sorry, you've had got a shoes.
0: Cane of blows, if you don't remember the story, folks. But anyway. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, yeah. We'll go and Google it. Yep. But it, surely now shoes are better than running with bare feet. And well,
0: there was a time there that you could buy barefoot shoes. Mm, the ones right. with the toes in them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and it right. was really just a bit of rubber. Yep just lining the bottom of your foot
1: yeah like, and yeah. i think you can still buy them but i, I never liked the idea of those but again yeah. technology in a whole range of areas keep mm. an eye out for the olympics next year and see what happens to some of the records but again you'd be crazy if you think you're going to get just a 0.1 advantage you're going to go and do it aren't you mm, absolutely all right here's
0: a story for our lovers of ancient history Artificial intelligence has come to the rescue to decipher what are potentially some of the oldest texts known to man. Imagine that you have to present a book report on a text with pages missing, large portions of the text rubbed out, and in a language that no one speaks anymore. They're just some of the challenges in digitised cuneiform tablets from Mes- Mesopotamia and the ancient scrolls like the Herculaneum text. Matt, AI has become a bit of a hero for historians here.
1: We're giving AI a good rap for a change. Sometimes we give yes, AI a bit well of a done, bad rap. That's right. Now, you have got, you're talking about texts here that are maybe 5,000 years old. Mm. So, fascinating to as read. As old as
0: writing itself.
1: Well, essentially, is, is what we found anyway. So, you're going back and getting a pretty good snapshot of history from these writings. Mm. And again, we uncover ancient burial grounds and all sorts of things, but gee, what were those people talking about? What were they thinking about? There'd be no shortage if you go forward another 5,000 years of written texts from Mm. our time now, but you go back there and it's pretty hard to decipher some of these, but they've done a couple of things. The first thing they've done is they've made some 3D models from some of these old Texts, And they're doing that because they can get the AI learning process to work better when it's a full 3D image. So they can look at it from different oh, angles. Right. Yeah, and so once, we're
0: talking about stone tablets. And stone,
1: stone tablets, correct. Sorry, yeah, right. I, I should have said that. So stone tablets, create a 3D image of that and then learn from those. So they're doing some of their learnings on that and some of their deciphering, but then obviously they can take that and use that to look at photos. Now,
0: you've... Yeah, so I mentioned the Herculaneum text. So they're on sc- scrolls that have deteriorated yeah. and they actually look like effectively lumps of rock now, but, yeah, they've got writing on them that needs to be read.
1: So these, a lot of these are still tablet forms. So yeah. they've got at the moment about a million cuneiform tablets that exist worldwide. Now, for you and I, a million. So you and I to sit down and go- They got busy back in those days. (laughs) They did. Let's start deciphering some of these. Right. I got through a little part of that today. I'll come back tomorrow and keep doing that. Let's throw lots of people at it. You're going to spend a long time getting through a million. But of course, AI, let's go and digitize those. That's still a job in itself, a million tablets to digitize. Once you've digitized those, feed it through AI, and there we've got a pretty accurate representation of what's coming out the other end. And so, wow, what a good picture we'll have at some point in the future about information from, as I say, up to 5,000 5, years ago yeah, and just wow. seeing what was happening then. So I'm sure then we're talking about swimsuits and how much faster they were. Maybe they were. Maybe they said there's this guy that's now wearing shorts rather than long pants in the <laughs> pool or maybe not a pool, maybe in the river. But it's fascinating, I think. So doing all of this, it just gives us that better view of what was happening and doing it quicker and doing it much easier as long as you've got the right information in the first place, which is why they're using that three D imagery to begin with.
0: And AI has to make some predictions, and humans can make predictions as well, or um, or estimations, I should say, because uh, some of this writing is, is like um, several dots. Look, looking at pictures as we were uh, as I was preparing for today's show, and we've just got several dots. And you can see the pattern when someone traces over it yep. and when AI's had a look at it and had a go at it. Um, but without that pattern, it's you know, a little bit more ambiguous. So maybe oh, maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it or whatever. Maybe AI, we're allowing AI to uh, read too much into it. But then AI is trying to make sense of a bigger picture as well.
1: Well, it did analyse, they, they let AI analyse 2,000 of these tablets mm. with humans to say, this is what this yeah. means. Yeah. So you, you're starting off with a not, perfect situation to begin with, because did that symbol really definitely mean that all the time, or did it have a bit like the English language, a bit of ambiguity and the meanings for different words? So you're doing that, but then saying, now go forth. And hopefully, if it's well-designed AI, it will actually keep going, going, well, this symbol I was told meant this, but as I keep analysing these ones, I'm actually thinking, In the context of these, it actually means something a bit different. So let's go back and look at those other ones again. Mm. But again, just having digital versions that you could search and look through from all of these different tablets. Wow, researchers, incredibly excited.
0: Heading into a long, hot summer this year, step back for a moment just to chill out. If you're suffering from anxiety over a potentially overwhelming electricity bill this summer, with your aircon blowing 24-7, then look out because hope is on the horizon. Matt has news about a new, much more energy-efficient
1: method to cool our homes. It mightn't be around for a little while yet. Probably a little way to go on okay.
0: this. so not this summer at least, but Probably maybe
1: 2026? Can I say a future summer?
0: Okay, future <laughs> summer, right.
1: So, can I be Can as a simplistic to say that an air conditioner works similar to when you let air out of a tyre. So you press the the valve on the tyre and it comes out and that air is cold. Mm. It's going from high pressure to low pressure.
0: Yeah, look, and I want to quote the law. I think it's Charles's law, but uh, yeah, pressure and, and temperature are uh, directly proportional.
1: So kind of a fridge or, or air conditioner works similar where you're compressing a gas and then you're releasing the pressure on that gas. Yeah. And I think an important part with the refrigerant that's used is it changes gaseous state, so from gas to a liquid, at these various pressure what's in those, those fridges and air conditioners. So you're relying yeah, I'm going to
0: confess that I have not done my homework on refrigeration technology.
1: That's fine. So that's my simplistic way of describing how That'll do me. A, a compressor or, or an air conditioner works. You had
0: it here, folks. It's the rule. That's how it works. <laughs> that's
1: right. Think about the, the air coming out of a valve, low pressure, cool. So think about that for a minute. There's a lot of work that goes on in an air conditioner because you've got a compressor and it's continually compressing the gas and then releasing that pressure. It's going from a gas back to a liquid and then Mm -hmm. going around and around doing the same thing. A lot of energy. So an air conditioner is actually not that efficient. So is there some way we could be more efficient? Because obviously we want air conditioners, we want to build out a cool down, we want fridges to work. Is there some way that we could get them more efficient? And this is something, and actually... What I love is that we've had fridges for a long time. I think some of the first concepts for fridges were way back in the 1800s, maybe even 1700s. So the the concept for that technology has been around for a long time. But someone said, sure, they've been around for a long time. Let's forget about just trying to get little slight improvements, let's forget about the whole concept and go a whole new path, and that's what they've done. They've come up with a concept...
0: They've reimagined it from scratch. From scratch, exactly Sounds like right. the way you'd build a Tesla or something. <laughs> exactly there right, exactly.
1: Electrocaloric cooling. Now, electrocaloric cooling uses some different metals. So in this case, they've got lead, scandium and tantalum. They arrange those, so in this particular scenario, they've put eight strips of those, very thin strips together, And then you apply electricity across those and that then generates a differential in heat and cool. Cool, can I use cool? So you've got that at different ends. When you've got the cool at one side of that then you just run some fluid past that to take the, the coolth away to wherever you need it. So yeah, right. you might run a silicon oil past that, for example, and take that cooler temperature down to the air conditioner to then blow something past it, some sort of condenser coil to blow that past
0: Before it. Before people um, start ringing in, um, yeah, we know there's no such thing as cool energy, but that'll <laughs> do us. We're, that's what we're going with right now. I
1: like coolth. <laughs> if we've got warmth, can't we have coolth? <laughs> so the cooler air is then taken, or the cooler temperature is then taken away with silicon oil. If we can do this and get it right, this should be at least twice as efficient in terms of electricity usage as a normal air conditioner. That sounds pretty good. In a normal building that's air conditioned, then you're talking about about a fifth of the energy is used for cooling or heating that building. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. Electrocaloric cooling could also be used for heating So, in the same way as a reverse cycle air conditioner can be used for both, then electrocaloric cooling, even though it's cool, cooling can be used for heating and cooling because you get about a 20 degree Celsius differential between the two ends. Yeah. Wow. So, it sounds quite fascinating. Again, you're right. It's not going to be this summer, not going to be next summer, probably a few summers away. What they think they can do is they can achieve, and I'm not sure how they measure this, but they can achieve, they've stated, 60% efficiency, so from the electricity that's put in to what you generate in heating or cooling, 60% efficiency. Now, at this stage, they're getting 12%. So at this stage, if you design an air conditioner today, it will be less efficient than a normal air conditioner, but they think they can get up to 60%, which sounds pretty impressive. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. Keep an eye out for it in a few years. (laughs)
0: Pressure on public health systems is enormous, and wait times for elective surgery can blow out in a big way. Well, surgeons in the UK have been run into the ground, so, oh, but not so much so as at Luton and Dunstable Hospital, where wait times are reducing all thanks to the modern age of robotics. Matt, I'm getting a visual here of patients being rolled out on a conveyor belt like in a cartoon manufacturing plant, but <laughs> we're not quite there yet, I hope.
1: Not quite there yet, but... This particular hospital, Luton and Dunstable Hospital, basically focuses on weight loss surgery, and there's a lot okay. of it, there's a lot of a backlog of it in the UK at the moment. It's got
0: a fancy name starting with B, doesn't it? It's bar- bariatric or something.
1: I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, I I
0: think okay, folks can look that up
1: at yep, home. Yeah, that's right. It might, it might be bariatric, B-A-R-I-A-T-R-I-C, sounds right, I've heard that somewhere, so. yeah. and I think that applies to everything, doesn't it? Whether it's gastric bypass or a sleeve gastrectomy, um, or an adjustable gastric sleeve. I think it just, all those ones, they put into one banner and call it bariatric. And let's call it bariatric for the moment. So so hopefully that's right. It sounds fancy. It does sound fancy. So when you've got this concept here, you're trying to get the surgery done faster and more accurately, and Mm. using a robot to help with that is great. Now, the first thing this robot- Hopefully,
0: smaller incisions and less damage on the inside.
1: Exactly right. So this one, this robot they're using, for for example, in this hospital, for a start, it's got four arms. Well, that sounds better than two, doesn't it? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So you've got these four arms. I don't know how I'd feel laying there. Hopefully, I'm knocked out, but these four arms start approaching me. One of the surgeons that talked about it said that, Imagine a plane, a modern fly-by-wire plane. You don't have a pilot sitting there like they used to when you, you pull the lever and it moves the aerolons on the wing or it moves the rudder, a physical connection there. Mm. You move the rudder or the joystick as it is on most modern planes and things happen that's generated by a computer, but it happens more accurately. And that's exactly what happens in this scenario. You've got a surgeon still operating this. But the surgeon says, I'm going to go here and move this and make this incision or do parts of what they're doing. And the arms, the robotic arms, are steadier than any surgeon. A surgeon might be able to hold their hand out and say, look at how steady my hand is. But a robotic arm is always going to be steadier than that. It's always going to make a more accurate incision. It's always going to go to exactly where it needs to go. And then to help the surgeon, there's a huge screen. in in front of them that's showing exactly what the robot's doing but blown up so that they can see much more accurately. no matter how good their vision is of a surgeon this is always going to be more accurate Mm. so you combine better vision you combine a steadier hand I'm not sure how they use the four arms. That's the thing that got me. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like Dr. Octopus or something. But um, yeah, look, surely there's a feel that that sensation of touch is also an important one. But I know that there's been a bit of work on um, transmitting touch, the feeling of touch. Um, across robotics as well.
1: Well, they haven't worried about it in this case because that's one of the things the surgeon did talk about. They said they do normally like that feeling of they're on the skin. They can feel it. They can feel out.
0: There's a bit of resistance, bit of pressure. And that's right.
1: Know how how deep to cut, etc. They've said that ignore all of that, and they're not worried about that because the robot knows exactly how deep to cut. It's not going to go down until it feels a bit of a release of pressure. Right, I'm through that particular part. I'm cutting. The robot knows how deep to go. When they're so, a couple of things there, they're finding that they used to be able to do about three procedures a day just with the robotics, just be going faster, they're up to four a day. So, straight away, yeah, that's right. a pretty good increase. That's with the same staffing levels, that's with everything happening the way it does normally. But then they're finding they're getting fewer complications because obviously it's more accurate, and the people that are having this surgery. Are staying in the hospital for a shorter length of time because again things are done more Smaller accurately.
0: cuts, fewer cuts.
1: Exactly right. So it does sound wow. quite fascinating. And I know we do it. An Australian friend of mine had their prostate removed recently, and he was telling me about it and said he was obviously knocked out, but he said there was a robot that came along and oh, did really? stuff to him. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> he was quite confident that it was going to be done accurately. And keyhole techniques time.
0: have been around for a while. And so you got four arms. I'm guessing one's for a bag or whatever. One's for um, uh, a uh, scalpel, the other arms for, you know, for some forceps or whatever. Um, Uh-and the fourth one, to mop your brow, maybe. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) To distract you with hand puppets and stuff. I don't know. (laughs) That's right. Reduce the need for an anaesthetic. But yeah, um, so fewer cuts uh, means that you can heal much, much quicker.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and again, that small incision, as you say. So doing it better in a whole range of ways. Now, what I found fascinating about this was the robot cost £2 million, so not cheap, but you expect that for some of this high-end technology. But the, the hospital didn't pay for it. It was funded through charity donations. People were so keen to reduce this backlog and get their weight loss surgery, they went out and did some fundraising to actually get the money for this hospital to actually have this robot as part of it. So pretty important to people over there, obviously.
0: It started with weight loss surgery, but I mean, this could go on to bigger and bigger and bigger things, surely. More and more.
1: As I said, prostate I know is happening already, weight loss surgery, lots of things I'm sure we're going to get different robotics being used for this type of thing. So it all makes sense. So quite fascinating.
0: Yeah. And that's all we have time for, folks. The next people in line are knocking on the window of the booth rather impatiently, and we've run out of 20-cent coins to pop in the slots anyway. So with the meter ticking down to zero, we'd better make tracks. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Yeah,
1: Thank you. I'm going to go and just check whether I've got those blue or those green bubbles to see whether I want to communicate with those people.
0: That was a bit of an eclectic lineup today with a bit of health and sport, a couple of scams, some money solutions, and even one for the history buffs today. Smashing it from every angle with no apologies. Well, thanks for tuning in today, folks. Once again, as always, it's a pleasure to introduce the future to you and give you a sneak peek through the curtain into tomorrow land. I'm James Eddy, and I hope that we can catch you again in another week's time as we lead you through the swathes of science and technology that beckon us henceforward. Until then, take care and we'll see you soon.